0: Music mm-hmm.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Christian, and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non concept albums. Throughline is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network, home of the best podcasts for music lovers, and adding more all the time. In addition, we are a proud spin off of the music discovery podcast Audio Judo, so give them all some love the next time you're looking for something new. Now, for us, today is episode 11, and we're covering one of my favorite bands, one that I discovered through a Spotify. Discover Weekly recommendation and have subsequently listened to pretty much everything that they've put out. Yet, unfortunately, I can almost guarantee that you've never heard of them before, unless you're a Vermont native or happen to be a particular peruser of Spotify's indie rock recommendations. Today, we are covering Traces by Medela. This is a peculiar album. Released in 2016, it is not their most well-known, and it actually holds a little bit of a different space musically from their most well-known being the dance from one year prior in 2015. The original album was more of a solo project by the namesake of the band Mark Daly, but Traces incorporated more of a band identity, involving four other members that had been touring with him after the dance released. As such, it sounds more filled out. That's not to say it sounds better, as minimalism and restraint are almost as important as writing tools as talent and indulgence, but it is worth noting. The album was recorded at Future Fields in Burlington, Vermont, and probably self-published? It's hard to say, as some reports place it as published by Future Fields, and some say self-published. That's probably because the studio was formed by one of the band members. Like I said, it's not incredibly well-known, so it's hard to find more information than just speculation at times. In addition, I have no idea how many copies it sold, and whether it was nominated for any awards, but some review publications have rated it fairly highly, so it's likely just a case of a lack of awareness over anything else. If you've never heard of Madeira Medill- well, don't be too surprised, but maybe feel a bit like you're missing out. They're a psych-pop indie rock mix that tends to venture into sounds that marry a line between retro R&B or old-school pop vibes with a more rock musicality in modern production. It's a healthy and fun combination that lends energy to the music as well as a comfortable lightness and flow. They've put out a number of albums, three full-length and two shorter but not quite EPs. They've yet to find widespread success but their hometown of Burlington, Vermont is often filled with their presence. They've performed many times in venues around the city and throughout Vermont, either as themselves or an alternative, retro-styled, over-the-top cover band called The Medallions. Tons of local newspapers cover them every time a new album or EP or idea comes out, and they seem really connected to the music culture out there. Unfortunately, however, they do appear to be in a bit of flux. Following the touring of Traces, they announced a prolonged hiatus at the end of 2018, with the last post on Twitter, being from November 11th from that year. Since then, their Instagram has had numerous on and off announcements of a few more Medallions concerts, including a couple one off Medela concerts, and even some new music in 2019. However, when COVID began, the band seemed to part ways. It's hard to verify, but it seems that almost everything that has released since has been the solo work of Mark Daly. I hope if that's the case, then it was amiable, but it's always hard to tell. Hopefully, things will improve soon, but even then, some of the work in the last couple of years has been some of the best Medela has done, so I'm not counting them out yet. Now, if you don't know what psych pop is, it's a portmanteau of psychedelic pop. Medela seems to exist only partially within the space rather than firmly, but the main aspect of psych pop is its use of trippy features. Fuzzy guitars, different recording manipulations, exotic instruments, or sounds are all key features and add to the near dreamscape feeling of the music. In some ways, it's been compared to different types of tripping, being high off one drug or another. I can't confirm this idea, but yeah, sure, whatever. Another key feature, however, is sweeping and higher-pitched harmonies, reminiscent of the Beach Boys. This is something that Medela has in spades, so it's clear there is influence here. Now, if you're looking for more information on this style and its history, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies have both been covered by Audio Judo, so give them a listen for more history on the style. Now, with the cross-promotion done, it's time to just talk me promotion. We're getting ever, ever closer. Only one more episode between this one and the event. Of course, the event I'm talking about is Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets. You thought I was talking about a new event? You think I'm big enough to talk about more than one event? You got to tell more people about the podcast before that happens. Actually, go do that now. Go tell them. But yes, October 20th, Denver, Colorado. Be there and see Nick Mason and his Saucerful of Secrets band cover old school Pink Floyd songs and talk to me about how right or wrong I was about Wish You Were Here. They'll have merch, I'll have merch. Matthew from Audio Judo will be there, Corey from Song Facts will be there, Nick Mason will be there. It'll be fun. But not only that, I want to give you all a sweet prize. Or, well, the opportunity for a sweet prize. You can buy tickets at saucerfullofsecrets.com, but you can also head to pantheonpodcasts.com slash nickmason to enter to win a VIP experience at the Echoes Tour. A giveaway experience, totally free to enter. You get exclusive site perks, a special merch table with exclusive merch, front row seats, and a pick shaped necklace made from nick mason's own symbols for free that's a tremendous deal get those tickets at saucerfulofsecrets.com for sure but seriously there's no reason not to enter this giveaway i want to meet you all but i especially want to meet the person who's lucky enough to win but for right now you're all lucky enough to win lucky enough to win me talking about an album i adore from a band all of you will hopefully check out after it's this week's episode of throughline traces by medela Beyond any other topic we've ever covered on this podcast, corrupt governments, failing society, insecurity, equality, and the apocalypse, the one main consistent idea threaded through the very fabric of music in general is the concept and exploration of community and its importance in our lives. Having a connection to someone, having love or kinship or friendship is what helps provide the bright light, the growth that is found throughout the albums. Almost every pop song sings of love. Almost every rock song sings of partying or lust or love. Almost every metal song sings of, well, you get the idea. Even a song about loneliness is one about the lack of connection and the pain of without. Rarely is there a truly analytical song having to do with no emotion or no society or no others. Rarely is there a song about someone firmly happy being on their own forever. Humans have always been incredibly social animals. Some historians believe that one of the main reasons for our evolutionary survival is our sense of community thriving in being able to support one another based on individual skill sets. And beyond this, our imagination fueled stories that helped provide hope, wonder, and a curiosity that has led to our ability to dream a new future when all the odds seem stacked against us, and be able to make that a possibility. This perseverance is an innate part of human nature, defined into the very fabric of who we are. Some of our instincts are the same as which they were thousands of years ago, but we also developed new rituals and new patterns at a rate that is outright spitting in the face of evolution at this point. Our desire for longevity, our willingness to change, and our arguably dying nature of protecting the weaker or worse off in our circles has led to longer lifespans, widespread convenience, and affordable luxury. Although, to be fair, there are still many problems in many areas of the world where this still isn't quite true yet. So now, singing of community, singing of love and longing and belonging are understandable and almost expected. But if this is such an innate part of our identity, being predisposed to kindness and sharing and love, whether platonic or romantic, why do so many songs and especially so many albums involve an arc of growth? A change from flaw to redemption. Are we actually not immediately likely to exist in a team or is it a behavior that is taught out of us and subsequently we are forced to relearn when the flaws escalate into unsustainable situations? Well, this is the main dialogue surrounding the conversation about nature versus nurture. A rather philosophical discussion rather than strictly biological or physiological one, this conversation remains undetermined, despite the fairly common buzz around it and its dramatic implications to understanding or dissecting human behavior should an answer be agreed upon or proven. For explanation purposes, nature versus nurture revolves around the concept of whether human personalities are decided when they are born or whether they are created through their environment and circumstances through childhood and beyond. Nature argues for the former, claiming that many human traits are intangible and are the product of the mixture of their parents, as if personality was baked into genetics like a series of emotional and situational punnett squares. If your dad was an alcoholic, you'll probably end up in a similar fate, especially if someone on your mom's side was too. Two capital X's means a very likely double capital X for you too. Nurture argues that you are a product of the world around you, and the ways that you are taught and guided to interact with it. If your parents teach you to hold the door open for strangers, you are more likely to end up kinder because they purposefully instilled manners and nice behavior without the goal of reward. But the issue with this argument is that neither can truly prove that some event is likely one over the other, leaving the situation rather impossible to ascertain. For example, the fact that your parent was an alcoholic likely in a situation where you were aware of or exposed to it could mean that your childhood environment is what leads you down a similar path later in your own life, because that's what you noticed about it then. So at this age, you should be an alcoholic. So the conversation wages on. But what if we reframed this whole argument entirely? What if it was less about the actual origins of where personality originates, but more about encouraging an outlook on life that evokes one or the other of these ideas? And this is finally where we find Traces by Medela. That was kind of a lot of spin-up for this episode, but there's a reason for that. If anyone were to look at this album's tracklist, even before listening to a single song, they could be forgiven for thinking that this album is actually already a concept album. With the album broken up by two songs labeled just 1 and 2 or I and II if you're talking Roman numerals, one at the beginning of the album and another at the exact center, followed by the song Nature after 1 and Nurture after 2, it's not exactly a stretch. I mean, just take a listen to the ending section of Nurture. It's impossible for your mind to distinguish our human nature. You are not alone. The song called Nurture references human nature. There's a connection already being formed here. It's not exactly subtle. So yeah, I'm existing in a bit of a tenuous position today, covering an album that wasn't confirmed as a concept album, but probably is anyway. But the reason I wanted to talk about this album is because it actually uses the concept of nature and nurture to explore an entirely different idea, one that defies its reading as a straight concept on what we've been talking about. And the easiest signal of this difference is in the song Spring. This song is a wonderfully bright and musically chaotic exploration of, well, fighting for change and transformation. Even through the bumps and bruises, we have pulled ourselves together, let the transformation take control. Now that normally wouldn't be all that remarkable, but if we look at the song's position in the album, we notice a peculiar turn. If nature is placed after song 1 and nurture is placed after song 2, it could be argued that the album is broken into a nature half and nurture half. We discussed before that nature is all about static personality, a nigh impossibility or at least improbability for change. But Spring is the song right before 2, meaning it is the last song in the nature half. This song is incredibly rebellious. What is it doing here other than possibly signaling the climax of an arc? So we've started to unearth a storyline, a movement from static nature to change to, well, what then? And what are we changing from? And what even sparked that change to begin with? Nature at the beginning is very specifically focused on being what you are unchanging.
0: Who I I can could never completely aside. you see it's my personality.
1: It's my personality tightly wound around my soul, born into it, can't undo this nature of mine. And the music here is confident and empowered, and it could be argued that this song is the most rock-like on the album fast and sweeping with punchy guitar and drums, but there is an element of dependency that the music in this song has to its lyrics. And actually, the musical changes are a really important aspect of this album that may be necessary to dig into. While many of the songs begin with a pretty lengthy instrumental part, most of the songs, when they get going, expose little room to just the music itself. Lyrics are typically paired with the breakdowns, speeding up and slowing down to match the pace and timbre. In truth, there are only about four or so musical breaks in the ten actual songs on the album, Secret, Nurture, What If, and Woods. There could be an argument for nature as well, but it's more of a reprise of the beginning of the song than anything else, with the rest of the music pairing with the lyrics ebbing and flowing as we described before. These songs are a peculiar choice, largely contained with the second half, with only Secret in the first half. And if we look at the meaning derived from these songs, we may be able to uncover a reason why. These are change songs. These are the songs where major growth for the character occurs, that an evolution from the state the character has plateaued on has happened. For example, there are ruminations in the first half about things that are fighting or encouraging a fight against the status quo. I mean, the third song on the album is called Realization, for God's sake, and Children of the Stars after it has a near-rebellious attitude against the destruction of childhood and nature to make way for modern industry. But the album only really starts to turn its head away from the things one can't control in the last third of Secret. The song itself up to the break has been about not missing a chance to tell someone how you feel, not really wanting to keep that secret. From that first moment in nature of feeling stuck in his ways and not amounting to change, there's a realization here of what will happen if he doesn't try to make something happen. Waiting far too long, the fire threatens to dissolve. Find the courage. With a final whoop, The song then careens into this third part, the musical break, first starting off fairly soft before kicking into a driving force that builds and builds into an absolutely barnstorming section that flows for over two minutes, entirely devoid of lyrics. Take a listen. This is the moment where he realizes he can take control of his life, blaze his own trail. Similarly, Nurture, What If, and Woods all contain breaks that signify some change. But the other thing we've uncovered from this exploration is what the throughline of the album is. Did you notice something strange about the way we were wording a bit of the explanation of Secret? I wasn't talking about the album as being about personality anymore, but rather was talking about courage and confidence in driving your life in the direction you want to take it. Sure, there are ruminations of love and family, environmentalism and peace, but the concept of nature and nurture here is used as a conceit to explore the difference between letting life take control and taking control of your own life. This is actually largely similar to the last album, Rope in the Wind, but working from the other way around. The point is to not let it all control you, and frankly, I'm incredibly curious what is the catalyst for the change. Well, I know, and it's funny to think about, but rather than get into too many spoilers, let's start exploring the album with this in mind. Starting with one. Well, okay, covering these two songs is a little silly, but they total over a minute and a half of the album, so they're not nothing. In fact, they're incredibly important in establishing the tone for the two halves. One is almost kind of cliché. It opens with soft growth into this big, expansive, spacey fanfare that then drops into nature. The fanfare is actually largely unremarkable, sounding pretty standard overture, but that's the point. It's meant to sound standard, to help connect the line to the album's alteration from standard into the second half. We'll get to that in a second, but for now let's move into nature. Nature, by all accounts, would be a Frustrating song to try and decipher. There are some conflicting messages going on. The first verse and the pre chorus talk about being incapable of change, born into a personality, a state that is uneditable, baked into the very fabric of your soul. Even the choruses are non committal and waffle between stances or sides, taking an exact middle ground of not wanting to build you up nor break you down, staying balanced and uncomplicated. But both the verses and the chorus have some breaks in. In this stance already. The second verse approaches the topic from the other side, with lyrics like show you can give it room to grow. Try to understand life will vary from the ways that you've planned and the chorus includes an additional line that says, Our ellipse is a middle ground. This idea evokes imagery of a Venn diagram with the two circles overlapping, finding the middle area of connection between. He still exists and works in this middle space, but there's reference to opinions or feelings outside the comparison. These aren't just conformist entities with no substance, but it's clear that the protagonist is conflicted as the pre-chorus and chorus following verse 2 again revert back to the feeling of being unchangeable. So what exactly caused the second verse's tone? Well, it's possible that this was a different person, telling him to be more active in his life. And this is supported by the ending lines and the wild tonal change in the back part of the song. <laughs> She says that I'm free. Someone is laying the foundation for change, providing an avenue of nurture to escape his nature, but the song ends in a dreamy sequence that repeats the ending line and the chorus overlapping, along with a seemingly darker version of the opening riff. There is hope here, but doubt is also rampant. The tone and style in the following song realization is significantly different. The singer belts out the choruses in a way that feels fragile, as if the song, the character, could shatter in a moment. And this musical feeling is reflected in the lyrics. Largely covering a kind of depression, why do I pretend to be happy? Clearly, you see. The singer is exploring the presence and comfort that a friend or lover has provided in their fog. There is an effort here to fight that which has been holding them down, an intention to trudge forward through the dust and grime that clouds me every day. The bridge even doubles down on this idea of hope, that soft, faint candle of hope that is nearly suffocated by the night around it. A spark is burning bright, breaking through but grounded by the night. This moment, however, is the only reference we have to the previous song. It is often a fairly depressing feeling to be trapped in some aspect of yourself that you feel you can't change, and in a society that only values specific types of change but actively makes it difficult to affect almost any kind of change anyway, a moment of realization or a confirmation of possibility by someone else may not be enough to be any more than a flicker of an idea. Common parlance suggests that the only way to affect real change in oneself is through wanting it yourself. This is a bit cliche, but not everything that is cliche is invaluable. Some things are deemed cliche merely because they are common, not because they are ineffective. But as we were talking before, this hope has only been granted by another. It is not yet his own, so it is unable to make true change. Instead, he clings almost obsessively to the person who provided him that love, to who prompted that discovery. But in Children of the Stars, there is a shift to a new kind of realization. Instead of continuously turning inward, the main character instead finally turns to their hope giver and begins to explore some of the ideas that affect them. I'll venture to say that this is still not full change. The main character still has moments of dependency and self-sabotage. The chorus is full of lines that rely on the other person for help, like, Please just help me find a little peace of mind. I can't forget this love. There's a palpable fear here that the other person will abandon them and that they will return back to their default state, the place that at this point they only feel elastic from, bent but not broken from that immutable state. However, they are learning to empathize. Growth is on the horizon. It's obvious in the song that the theme generally revolves around industrialization, talking about the shoulders of the dogwood tree they used to rest under that ended up being torn up. And the character is taking on their anger. Take a listen to the end of the bridge where he takes on a pretty apparent rebellious tone.
0: Total, they will stop
1: Now again, the character goes into the same dependent chorus immediately after, just like in Nature, but there is a final turn that separates it from that song's disillusion, a moment of power and triumph that he repeats twice, as if for emphasis, singing loud, don't loosen up your grip on love you believe in. Just for a moment at least, he's taken on the role of the hope giver in the first song, providing hope himself, yet he still doesn't seem to believe in it himself. It's one thing to provide advice, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those who deal it are capable of taking it themselves. Definitely looking at myself from high school there. But in secret, we get our first real change. We've actually covered the song a ton already, so I'm not going to go too much into it here, but this song shows that growth. And not only that, but it's a love song. In a way. Up to this point, it could be read that the relationship between the main character and Hope Giver has been a kind of friendship, obviously filled with platonic love, but definitely emphasis on platonic. It's clear they've been friends since childhood, as seen in Children of the Stars, with the sitting beneath the dogwood line. And it's also clear that this character has been obsessive toward the Hope Giver since the interaction in nature. But that adoration, that connection, reaches its tipping point in this song, to the point where the character is tearing at the scene on the verge of falling apart if he doesn't share how he feels. But this is indicative of a much more important change. Prior to this moment, the character hadn't really had a true moment of personal confidence or drive, either taking inspiration from the words of another or giving advice that he couldn't receive. But here, in the wake of the hope giver pulling back, a vision of them disappearing into the night, he resolves to find that courage, which leads to Secret's crazy break. And with this tremendous cacophony satisfied, we find a moment of reflection in Spring.
0: I can feel it now. I can feel it now. Watch the color take an action. Lifted from the ground. Never seen such sudden brightness. Overpower all the things that die
1: Now, the season of spring itself is historically one of rebirth and renewal, an ending of the suffocating cold of the winter and an introduction of warmth, light, and color. Spring is a season evocative of a sunrise, the beginning of the year, basking in the new dawn. And so, as the main character's world unfurls, working through the anxiety, mania, and intensity of change in the break in the last song, a new world has opened, softly its light growing in the first part of this song. The love arc is not the most important story here, but rather the main character's growth of identity and confidence. The first two verses use this natural imagery as self-induced metaphor to try and understand his new feelings, casting off the winter, watching the sudden brightness overpower all the things that died. This does not last forever, however, as the song slowly turns away from metaphor to literal. By verse 3, he has fully rationalized the change in himself and voices it here. Let the transformation take control. Following is the chorus where he connects to the battle he had to go through, the depression that he faced, acknowledging that there is a fight that needs to be done to grow out of darkness. But this revelation is a big one for him, an understanding of the pain he went through, and we get an exploding drum section to signify that further change. With the sentiment echoing out, I'm tired of being afraid, now it's time to begin. We resolve nature and pave the way for the nurture half. And this, of course, begins with two. Whereas one was a fanfare, two is a dreamscape. We've moved from the traditional into the experimental, the structured and deterministic to the random and chaotic. Beginning with an ambient sparkling drone with an old-school voice that's been distorted beyond recognition and ending with a distorted guitar sound that has a sense of menace, we have established a brand new tone, one of uncertainty and the risk or chance of beauty or danger. But I do want to briefly pull the thread on the strange ethereal but chipper voice. Try as I might, I haven't the faintest idea what this guy says other than ready begin or ready go into the second half of the section. But even more interestingly than the lack of information from this part is that this is not just a standalone idea. Secret also has a strange, difficult-to-hear voice that opens the song. This one is also fairly hard to parse, but the general gist involves a connection between the soul and nature, creating a dialogue that suggests that if the soul were proven to be older than the body, then it might suggest a connection to the forces of the universe, an innate weaving into the very fabric of air, fire, or whatever. Existing firmly in the nature section but right before the moment where the main character begins to move away from nature as the foundation of his identity, this wording is bizarre. But it makes sense. The voice seems almost assured in his statement that this primordial connection to nature may only be a pipe dream. Nothing is so confirmed as to be built into the very fabric of reality, at least in terms of our fate. This is a peculiar idea to exist in tandem with the album's direct love and appreciation for the natural world, tying oneself into natural metaphor in spring and beyond as a way to begin connection between humans and the environment. But connection does not imply causation. A relationship is not necessarily based on influence, and there is importance in being different, in being unique, in which to provide outside solution or support. In a way, if one were to be directly controlled by nature, by their nature, by that which came before, the way forward would be deterministic and assured, with little room to waver or divert if that path leads to inevitable ruin. And so we have changed. The main character has changed from belief in that deterministic philosophy, the mental block of truly thinking that he was a victim to how he was made, to having some element of control in nurture.
0: Oh, 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 oh,
1: The nature half had a pretty clear theme of developing this internal hope, this change from tradition, cliche, expected pattern, into a reliance on self, a kind of flexibility and an ever-changing change. However, this new space exists right on the edge of chaos. With two being this dreamlike random space, it's clear at this point that the newfound confidence is unstable to say the least. Freedom of choice also creates an anxiety around that very choice, something that risks imbalancing that confidence into a belief that you might not be capable of handling this after all, causing a spiral back into the place from before, an easier place but not often as fulfilling. So, Nurture takes on the perspective of the Hope-Giver again, addressing this newly courageous and fledgling main character with a more coaxing version of the encouragement from nature. Pay attention to my voice. I'll be your guide through each and every step. However, this is all a bit too much. The song is almost aggressive in its optimism, with early lines like, "changes overdue, leave the body that you knew,' and "'What you learn externally will form to be the way you are, this you can't ignore.'" No surprise then that this is incredibly overwhelming to the main character, and the song spirals out of control right in the middle. <laughs> hear some of the inner turmoil of the character in the near anguished vocalizations in the background this being one of the few musical breaks in the album has the potential to completely destroy the progress being made luckily however the song peaks in its chaos and restabilizes leading into the second half which begins by sounding like a retread of the beginning but now it's a bit lighter with moments of suggestion rather than necessity the stage is lit for you enter the unknown as well as moments that attempt to better highlight how the main character's been raised or molded into who they are rather than destined, with realize the emphasis on influences formed deep inside your mind. And because of this softer approach, we never get back to the main egging on of the chorus. Instead, we get a new tag at the end of the song where the hope giver sings reassurance rather than reinforcement, stating that everyone struggles from time to time. It's really hard to know how we've been influenced by others and as such how we may be able to affect change ourselves, but no matter what, we aren't alone in this challenge. We all struggle with a feeling of a lack of agency, but that shared worry is Likely one of the main arguments against it. And so, reformed and confident, the main character takes his feelings of connection to the Hope Giver that had been growing up until this point, bolstered by the confidence they gave to him and digging deep into the feeling of needing to share his secret, in well, secret, into finally professing his love to the Hope Giver in Excelsior. I need you to
0: understand.
1: Fully in control of his feelings and bursting them forward without shame or regret or fear, this song exudes love. I mean, just listen to the chorus here. Never put
0: you
1: Positively moving through the years, I'll never let go. Won't you put your hand out? I need to make this one vow. Vow, probably being a marriage proposal here, this is absolutely a moment of light in his life, grown out of this dark place by the courage and love provided by a close individual that then blossomed into something romantic for both of them. I say both of them because it's fairly obvious in the rest of the album that this is a relationship that continues developing, one mutually connected and loving. Obviously the first half had elements of obsession or dependency, but it is clear in Nurture that this love is not a one-sided one. The Hope Giver had been through it all with them, and on the other side, on the upswing, provided even more encouragement and love than at the very beginning. And Mercy is then the thank you song
0: is the cold away. Introduce the to the sun. Me, once a day.
1: This is the moment where the main character is in a wonderful place, a much brighter position than the first half, and there isn't enough gratitude to go around. The song has a rather bizarre sliding gratitude, however, but it's not horribly unclear. The reason I say this is because there is a mixture of gratefulness to the hope giver as well as to the main character's family. The first verse seems clearly about that newfound lover, after all he uses the term baby in the verse, but the rest of the song generally seems to be widespread in its thinking, or specifically about his family, blood family and found family alike, with lines like, no chance I could have ever realigned without my brothers and sisters of mine. The obsession has obviously wavered here, but that may be for the best. Obsession and dependency in a relationship is not necessarily the best sign of a healthy relationship, one rather built on fear rather than love. So its absence here is actually notable and shows further signs of growth and change in the main character. And this change is solidified in the bridge.
0: Look me in the eye. These memories we make the sky. Traces of the future, traces of the past, forever intertwined again.
1: traces of the future, traces of the past, forever here intertwined together. A balance has been achieved, one of a knowledge that our nature is built on the connections and wisdom granted to us as we grow, molding our identities, but that our nature is just as much ours to control, ones that have yet to be decided and open to a world of possibilities still unknown." This is the climax of growth and evolution of the main character, and the first of two nods to the album's title, Traces. Really this album title means exactly what the song brings up, there's not a whole lot more to say on that other than to point out how it ties into the album's artwork, which is one of the most abstract we've covered so far. It's a yellow circle with a dashed stroke around it and filled with multiple diagonal lines with one section between the lines a darker orange than the circle. The circle itself sits slightly bursted out of a dark lavender triangle that is also stroked, but without the lines intersecting at the corners, leaving it open and airy. All of this is set on a light beige textured surface. There's no album name, there's no artist name. As far as the name traces goes, well, these look like traces, simple stark black lines with color filling in. The abstraction is bizarre and evocative, but if we try to break it down, we are met with multiple interpretations, from a sunrise to an eye to an attempt to evoke retro aesthetic in general but we can also interpret it as the journey the character is taking, the lavender triangle being the false but convincing confinement of nature, the orange being the influence of the hope giver, and the yellow circle being the different stages of their growth outside of nature's control, finally breaking out of the triangle in its last step. However, the circle hasn't fully left the triangle. There does seem to be a few aspects still inside. It's definite growth, but it doesn't grow to exist perfectly without doubt. Just as much as many of our albums tend to suggest, growth is important but imperfect, and this is no different. As we see with What If and Woods, some events that happen in our lives are major enough to affect our worldview. Love can help grow us, but the loss of that same love can lead us back to ruin, and just as much nearly happens in these two, starting with What If. Almost immediately from the beginning we get a sense that this relationship is on the ropes, lying there to disguise the distance unfolding in front of our eyes. They know it's unraveling, the love they shared and grew is not holding, and this causes the main character to fall back into dependency. Take a listen to the chorus. What if I need you, wasting time acting like I'll get through? He seems to be under the impression that without the hope giver, he'll fall back into that place from before. This isn't a pathetic state, though. It's not hopeless. He is hoping for the possibility of repairing, wanting to take a chance while he still has a choice. This would not have been possible prior to his growth, meaning that some aspect of it is sticking. He may be reverting, but not entirely. And this is positive, even if the song isn't necessarily. And even in the final song, Woods, as the relationship is unfurling even further, Further, he still does not lose this courage or drive.
0: Look all the change, it never stops.
1: He even actively catches himself taking on a cynical mentality or feels suffocated by the way we seem connected all the time. It's obviously not an incredible state, but the hope has never left. And in fact, in these dire situations, it even begins to grow. Up until this point, his growth has been largely courage or love-based, but the original gift he was given was not either of those, but hope, and until these last two songs, that hope had not fully grown into his own. It's only through a new trial, a new tribulation, that he is actively finding himself hoping against all hope. The song is pretty slow and mostly dark. Even the choruses have an element of sadness to them that puts a damper on their lighter lyrics, especially with the last line we can make it last it sounds unsure and worried but then in the back half of the song it takes on new light there's a stariness here that turns back to that love wishing they could run away from it all all the worries be one with nature and each other again almost like sitting under the dogwood in the memories from children of the stars a return to coexistence and not dependency relationship but not control With this hope, with this final moment of growth shown in the beautiful and nearly weeping guitar solo at the end of the song, we close the album. The character has grown, and even if this relationship does end up ending, he will be changed forever, the hope giver stored as an influence, a trace of his past, as the chorus of Woods implies. In some ways, we are built of little pieces of the people we interact with. Our personalities are an amalgamation of the personalities of those we grew up with, a perfect representation of our environment then shaped by our own thoughts and our belief in our future and our ability to change the present. In a way, we all share in the nature of humanity, the fabric of reality that the wealth of civilization has created. And it is up to us to use that innate human hope for better. In our unique qualities, our individual found experience and identity to help shape that fabric into something that will better us all in the future. We won't be perfect, and things will sometimes fail, love will sometimes lose, and life will sometimes be difficult, but the least we can ever do is try to nurture our lives, our loves, and our world. around after the break for a quick conversation about the album christian here yes it's still through line you haven't been bamboozled but where's the little sound thingy where's the conversation the juicy dialogue don't worry i have it queued up my fingers hovering over the button or well my cursor is ready to drag it in when i edit this together later but before all of the conversing hullabaloo i finally got a taste of every podcaster's greatest opportunity a promo code, and also I guess the ability to talk about a product they're actually excited about. Or well, it's both a service and a product. One of the biggest problems that I have with putting together this whole throughline package is knowing how to give the people what they want. Which musicians to cover, how funny I should be, if I should start a TikTok. But one thing that the people often want from a business or project or property they're passionate about is merch. And what better way to personalize your merch than with stickers? Sticker Mountain is an online experience that is dedicated to delivering you the best stickers and labels so that you can sell your products, grow your business, and focus on your passions. Simple interactive interfaces, competitive prices, and a support team that has the same passion and attention to detail as if they were right down the road from you come together into a package that's damn near impossible to beat. With tons of material options and bulk discounts on bigger orders, it's something that even I can't resist. and. Frankly, I'm a bit of an analysis nerd if you couldn't tell yet. Their color matching is a highlight and something they pride themselves on, and for good reason. At Sticker Mountain, you'll find everything you need to get the product labels, merch stickers, and more onto your booths, into your stores, and into the hands of your customers. And by listening to this podcast, you've unlocked a special reward. For a limited time, you can use the code throughline 2022 all lowercase, to get 10% off your next order at StickerMountain.com. Make the most of it. Stock up. I can personally attest to the quality and care that goes into each order, and I'm confident you'll be excited you look them up too. Go see what they have at StickerMountain.com and use the code thruline 2022 for that lovely, lovely discount. Now, for all y'all that stuck around, time to hit that funny little sound button. Hey everyone, welcome back to Throughline. We just got done doing the breakdown of the album, and well, it's just me today. Don't really have a guest for this one. Not a lot of people that I'm aware of that are aware of this band. So it's just going to be me. We're going to talk about the album for a few minutes. Originally, this section was intended to be an interview with Mark Daly of Medela. We're still hoping that that will be the case sometime down the line, but obviously it didn't end up happening for this episode. So I'm just going to talk briefly about some of the things that I found. One of the most interesting things that I know about this band and was confirmed through all of the research was that the vast majority of the music written for this band seems to be at least conceived by frontman Mark Daly. There were four other members prior to the hiatus that had toured with him for the dance that released in 2015 and toured with him following traces up until about 2018 or 2019. While it's not uncommon for a band to have one main songwriter, it is interesting reading about how supportive many of the band members are to Mark Daly and his songwriting process. There's an interview by Jordan Adams of Seven Days Vermont with Mark Daly and keyboardist Eric Mayer, where Eric Mayer himself equates Mark Daly to a sculptor, saying sculptors don't do group projects, that would be a shit show. We all have different strengths and potentials, But the name of the game is Letting Mark Bring This Image to Life and as a group help to finish it. And in addition, there was another interview by Rachel Johnson for Live for Live Music with the full band where. One of the members says, I think one of the things that makes this group more unique is that it is 90% Mark's brain, but we're also all able to add our own styles and flavors to it, so the music is kind of like a melding of Mark's brain and all of the rest of our brains to create this really interesting and unified end result. One of the most powerful things from these statements is this idea that, kind of like bucking the idea that a lot of artists are so wrapped up in their own ego, so wrapped up in their own own identity, that they're unable to work with others. And many of the things that I've noticed researching these albums is that a lot of the artists have some sort of collaboration, have some sort of ability to work with other people to find a better solution to what they were trying to accomplish. Manchester Orchestra is going to be about two episodes from now. Manchester Orchestra also has a huge story regarding the band being the primary songwriter, the primary identity for what they were doing for their first few albums, and then when they began Black Mile to the Surface, they went and collaborated with as many people as possible, trying to build a sound that was more than just them, more than just what they believed was the right thing for them to do. Taking on this new ground of finding something that was more important than themselves. One of the biggest things that we can do as a society is to work together to find solutions that would be impossible to do alone. One of the biggest things that Medela has pushed from the beginning with many of their songs is this idea of love, of life, of supporting one another. One of the last singles that they released as a full band is called Where Do We Go From Here?, And the answer proposed in the song was love, being kind, being aware of other people, being empathetic, providing that hope to each other, like they talk about in Traces. Now, a lot of people these days will giggle and laugh and poke fun at the idea that kindness is a useful medium for art, that showing true pain, showing true punishment, showing the quote unquote realistic aspects of life is where true art actually lies. People who say that brightness, that comedy, that love is something that just doesn't have the same weight, but this is not true. One of the main factors of human life is a connection to hope, is a connection to community. Hope is one of the things that really defines humanity as itself. It's one of the things that very few other animals are capable of, believing in something that might not be possible or at least might not be visible. Many of the core foundations of humanity are built on hope, faith, fate, chance. All of these ideas are wrapped around this idea that you don't know what the truth is, and you're just kind of believing that there might be something. There might be some way for you to get something out of it that really statistically shouldn't be possible. And that's one of the things that I really love about this band and about looking at bands that are attempting to do things other than the main trend. This band is not in that popular state. This band exists on the line between indie rock and an old school version of psych pop that isn't as popular. Some other bands are doing it. Glass Animals is kind of close. Jungle is kind of close. But extracting this old school style and mixing it with this indie rock type of music that's already being phased out because it's what they want to write goes along with this idea of their writing about the things that they want to see happen. And it's a little reductive to think that this won't allow them to achieve success, or this won't allow them to achieve what they want to achieve, because being true to yourself and being talented should be two of the main ingredients to being successful. And maybe that's where we need to redefine success. Being overwhelmingly popular in the musical space does not imply that you are the only thing important musically. Medela, in that interview with Jordan Adams, the reviewer states that Medela have unequivocally left a mark in Burlington. They've nurtured the right relationships, not just in the music world, but in the community at large, and that has allowed them many opportunities to fully realize their grand vision. You can't just push something through with force, says Mayer, the keyboardist. You really need to take it slow. We're trying to do this for a long time. We'd rather take a year to do something in a way that lasts instead of taking a month to do something in a way that doesn't last. It all blends into wanting to collaborate with the community. Widespread fame isn't the only avenue toward success. And doing things to liven the lives of the people around you, liven the lives of your community, including playing shows to just 15 people. They've even said that some of their best shows have been to 15 people or all of their best shows have been to 15 people. And I think that that perspective of being as connected to few people as to many people is really indicative of who they are as a band. And I think who we should all be as people, because everyone around us is important. Mark Daly in that last interview says, and with this day and age, when you can access everything with a click of a button, it's almost put even more pressure on us to really deliver and captivate an audience when they do choose to come out to a show. But saying that what we do comes very naturally really to us. It's all from a very genuine place and we're just trying to give everyone a really great and fun experience. A lot of artists will say that the main drive for them is their live shows is connecting with their audience and providing an experience that they can take and hold on to and give hope that things aren't always as bad as they sometimes seem. And I think that that's a really important power of musicians and music in general. And I hope I hope against hope that music will always remain as that source of power of that source of growth and that source of change. And with that, hopefully we'll get to talk to Medela at some point soon. But I wanted to thank you all for listening, and I hope you check the band out. You can comment us, ask us about what we're doing next, tell us what we're right and wrong about, tell us about the things that you experienced because of the perspectives we've provided, or some perspectives you want to provide yourself on all of our social media channels. But until next time, that's been Throughline with this week's episode, Traces by Medela. And remember everyone, the most important step to helping is to try. Thanks for listening.